So today we're talking to Arne. Hi, Arne. Hey, hey, Jacek. Uh, and I think with Arne, we could talk about so many different topics. Uh, he's the creator of Lambda Island videos. Uh, you also have the Lambda Island open, open source software. You're also the person behind Clojureverse. And yeah, uh, multiple libraries that I mentioned. Uh, we'll probably try to focus the discussion today about testing. Uh, but I think it would be great if we start about, you know, some kind of introduction, origin story, and we can just go from there. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, let's uh, let's take it from the beginning. Uh, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Uh, I think it's a, a super interesting topic, uh, testing and Kaucha and everything that it entails. So mm-hmm. really excited to to yeah to talk about that today and and share some of that stuff with with the people listening. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe yeah to to introduce myself a little bit. So yeah, my name's Arna um, Arna Brosser. People see me on the internet uh, often as Plexus on on Twitter and Clojurians and other places. Um, and I guess yeah, like five years ago, I started with these Clojure screencasts. Uh, coming up to five years, kind of crazy that it went so fast. Uh, called Lambda Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then soon after, I also started releasing open source libraries uh, under the, the Lambda Island name. Uh, what, what really happened there was that I had a, a piece of functionality in the Lambda Island code base uh, for handling URLs and URIs. Um, because of a there, you know, there was a there were a couple closure URL libraries at the time, but I had a couple specific needs. I wanted it to be, you know, the exact mm-hmm. same API between closure and closure script. And so, you know, it was this like really nice encapsulated little piece that I then wanted to use on some other projects. And I was like, okay, you know, like let's uh let's turn this into an open source project. Uh and from there, yeah, like since since it came out of the Lambda Island code base, I, I released it under the Lambda Island name. Uh, mm-hmm. And then that also kind of turned into a way of kind of getting our name uh, out there. And and right. since then, yeah, by now there's there's over a dozen libraries I think under under the Lambda Island name. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned yeah, people know me from a bunch of different things. Uh, I I started the Clojureverse uh, forum that that started originally as the forum for Chestnut, which is which was actually my very first kind of public uh, closure project, which was a, a template for for. Closure closure script projects. Um, I maintain the the Clojureians log, which kind of right. captures everything that happens on Slack. Mm-hmm. Uh, organized yeah. a conference last year, Heart of Closure. That right. was a lot of yeah. fun. Um, but nowadays, the main thing that that I'm busy with is uh, Gaiwan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Gaiwan is a company I started about two years ago. Um, which is sort of a, a, a closure shop, a closure agency, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do a bunch of different projects uh, with, with different clients. Uh, and so that's, yeah, a lot of my time has been going into that and, and less uh, into Lambda Island, at least mm-hmm. less into the screencasts. But the open source uh, is still going very strong. And actually, we've, we've been getting more people on board with Gaiwan. And together, we kind of now try to maintain this, uh, this Lambda Island uh, yeah, patrimonium, let's say. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's, that's, that makes me really happy that, that, yeah, sort of, I'm no longer doing all this stuff alone. We've got a small team now. They're all really great folks. Uh, cool. and so, yeah, that's kind of where we are today. That's great. Uh, so, um, yeah. And of course, one of those libraries is, uh, so what's the name again? The name is Kaucha. Kaucha. Okay. 
and it's focused on testing. Uh, so, but maybe before we can talk about like in testing in general and just like, I don't know, educate a bit about testing philosophy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's let's unpack that a little bit, right? Because because it's it's such a fascinating and such a such a big topic, um, right. and I guess yeah, like if you you know, if we wanna if we re- really wanna lay it out, then then I guess we need to start from the beginning, and that is yeah, mm-hmm. what what even is a test, right? Right. Um, and the way I think about that is that like, you know, when you're when you're writing code, like that's just that's just characters in a file right that's just it's just sure. static mm-hmm. text it, it doesn't really do anything until you run it mm-hmm. uh which might mean you know starting it in the in the the, the repl or in a in a, a command line or, or looking at it from a browser but so there's this very natural next step where at a certain point you're like okay you know you've written a bunch of code which is your real code, your production code, but then you know you wanna you wanna see that code do something, um, sort of not necessarily in the context of the complete program, the complete thing you're building. You know, mm-hmm. you don't necessarily want to like click through everything or start the whole thing, but you just wanna you know it's sort of I don't know. I feel like if if testing and and unit testing in particular wasn't a thing let, yet, like people would reinvent it and over and over because it's just sort of this very natural tendency at a certain point to say like, okay, well, you know, how can I now see that this thing does something, you know, how can I, how can I drive it? How can I put something in it and, and get something out? And so that's kind of my idea of like, you know, very broadly speaking, testing in this sense of, of automating, automated software testing mm-hmm. is, is basically any code that is not your actual code, not your actual production code, but it kind of drives, it kind of runs your production code and then maybe you know verifies that it that it does a certain thing. Why would you do that? I mean, you've we've already you know I guess I've already mentioned or kind of gotten to that uh, to some extent. It's like yeah, you know, like you don't want your code to just be static. So, um, but but of course, as closure people, that's actually you know it, that that almost sounds a little strange because the way we tend to work is we are constantly running our code. Right, like we 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 have our mm-hmm. REPL, we have a very interactive way of working, and yeah, like every every function, every every form, every little bit of code you write, you tend to sort of continuously be testing that via via your REPL or via your your integrated environment that can evaluate these forms. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a lot of other ecosystems where they don't really have that, they they use their tests. Uh, as sort of a way of driving that that process, right? So like where we would like have that feedback loop of constantly putting stuff in a REPL, you know, they would have a feedback loop where they put some code in a test and then run that test. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, change the code, change the test, run it again, and so right. forth. Um, and I think that already gets to kind of an interesting cultural difference in that sort of, uh, I think there's a lot of closure code out there that that doesn't really have, unit tests or or you know doesn't have tests at all or maybe not not many um and i think this that you know that's kind of a, an important reason for that like there you don't you don't have that necessity so much at the time when you're writing the code because you already have a feedback loop 
which is your REPL. Mm -hmm. And so that feedback loop is kind of a, you know, a, an important reason why people write tests. But then because of that, you, you, you now have those tests and they can start giving you extra benefits, right? And so I think that's the main thing what people think of when you would say like, okay, why do I have these tests? It's for checking that your code is correct. Um, now that's of course a bit of a fuzzy concept as well, because like, you know, your code can only be as correct as as the test is correct, right? So it's like maybe right. maybe they're both wrong, um, but still it gives you it gives you kind of a baseline, especially when you know at a certain point point you have a bunch of code and you have a bunch of tests and you can see that the tests run, and then you know maybe you start changing the code, you start adding stuff, you need to move some stuff around, and then if the tests continue to run, then you know, it it still doesn't really tell you that the code is correct or complete or anything like that, but at least it tells you that a certain amount of stuff which was working before still works the same way. Right. Right? Um, and so you kind of like, as you as you add tests, you kind of try to, I kind of think of it as sort of setting this this bottom threshold of of quality in a sense. Where where you don't want to drop below, right? Because like your test is never going to capture everything, but but by sort of capturing the important stuff, you know, you know that like as long as the test suite passes, you know, we have we have a certain amount, you know, to the amount that we have confidence in the correctness and completeness of this test suite, we have confidence that this tells us something meaningful about our code. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, that's. Uh, very very good practice uh, still to you know have those tests and so I think that's kind of a step that a lot of people miss. It's like they they do all this stuff in the REPL, um, but then they they don't really have the extra step of of getting it into into test files. Mm. Um, I don't know what's what's your experience with this. Like, do you are you are you big on testing? You know, I always find it difficult to decide uh, what. Uh, what should be captured in tests, you know? So I have some opinions about, for example, I don't know, front-end testing. Uh, yeah. Let's imagine I'm using Reframe and there is a Reframe test library, you know, where you mm -hmm. can test a lot of stuff without really mocking anything. I'm not a big fan of mocking, uh, mm -hmm. so I prefer to just run the stuff as I wrote the code. So with Reframe test, you can just... Uh, execute more or less the test from the event point of view, and mm. it can also fetch the stuff asynchronously and do all of the work as it would do on the user. The only difference is that you don't hook up the test to the UI itself. You're like mm. you're you're executing the event, but you're not executing the button in the browser that triggers this event. If that makes sense. Yeah, that that does make sense. Um... Because yeah, UI testing is is uh, is difficult, and it's is yeah, it's it it's easily gets to the point where where the cost of of writing and maintaining the tests right. kind of outweigh the the benefits, right? So I think like right. yeah, testing the logic behind it uh, makes a lot of sense. Right. So that's the that's the only part where I feel like okay, the only thing I'm not testing in this test is if I hooked up my event correctly to the button. Uh, which also frees me a lot if I move the UI around and yeah, like not right. all of the tests are breaking, you know. 
Uh, but that's the, that's the risk I take. I was like, okay, I'm not going to hook it up to the UI and I'm not going to drive the browser. I just need execution environment mm. as a browser. And then I'm just going to run the tests. Uh, so, uh, on the backend, you know, I prefer sort of like the integration test. So if you're talking about, um, rest API or something like this, I would also have a test that just goes through, uh, the handler does the stuff and it's, I don't know, let's say I create something and it checks in the database if it created it. Mm. So um, I'm not sure if I would say I'm a big on unit tests and stuff like this. I mean, there's the whole pyramid and everything, but I guess I would I would sort of try to test the whole flow instead of small pieces. Uh, I mm. guess it's not a very popular opinion, but, you know. Well, actually, I think, uh, I think I do largely share that opinion that if, if you're you know, if if you only have one test, you know, say like you literally have like, you know, you 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 can write a single test and that's the mm-hmm. only test you get. Mm-hmm. Then then yeah, like, you know, you want to write a test that that t- tries to test a, as complete your system as possible, right? right? Because that's that's the only one that is actually telling you that that the whole system works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh and so, yeah, I think, you know, like having integration tests and sort of testing at this very high level um, is something where you get a lot of bang for your buck, right? Like it's like this. Right. Th- at the end, this is the only like, yeah, you can have a million unit tests and you still don't know if, you know, when things come together, everything right. still works. Right. Um, but of course, you yeah, because you mentioned the testing pyramid. Mm-hmm. Why don't people write a million integration tests? You know, you can test, you can still test every piece that your program does through an integration test. I mean, if it's some behavior that, you know, that, 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 that you can observe from the outside that a user can see, then it should be possible to test it through an integration test, right? Mm-hmm. And then, then you really have the confidence that, that your actual user functionality really works. So why don't people do that? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if you have a good answer to that, but that's, I mean, they're kind of making like, making I an don't argument know. through a, through a question, right? Like, I think what's the, your the take reason, on it? The, well, the reason is that, that, uh, the like big end to end integration tests are, are a lot of pain to write and maintain. Yeah. Uh, and they, they can easily get flaky. Like they are, they're unwieldy tests. Right. right. Like you need you need a lot of setup, you know. You need to like spin up whatever services your code depends on, or or mock it out, which has its own but downsides. Uh, and then it's all this orchestration where there's like, you know, if you if you just test like a single piece, even if it's relatively imperative, but it's sort of like you know, it's a single piece of single threaded code, which has a you know a start and an end. Then mm-hmm. yeah, you can like you know you can fire it off, and then at the end kind of see what what observable differences you you can check upon. Mm-hmm. But with these big integration tests, there's usually like you know say there's a browser involved, you're like controlling a browser. Well now there's like there's multiple threads, multiple processes doing stuff at the same time, mm-hmm. and you need to like it becomes a question of orchestration, right? You need to like send a message, wait for a response, like this kind of stuff. Right, uh, and so that that tends to become very quickly uh, flaky, like unreliable. Uh, you, you know, you write your yeah. test, and you know it seems fine, but then you know you run it two days later, and 
you know, it, I don't know. It only runs half of the time. You run an LCI, it only yeah. runs a third of the time because you start getting these subtle race conditions, right? Like when yeah. you run it locally, okay, the messages arrive in this order, but then on CI, <laughs> yeah. it happens a bit slower or a bit faster and, and you know, you get different results. Yeah. Uh, plus also, yeah, what you were saying before, right? Like why, uh, why do you prefer not having it hooked up to the actual UI? Because... UI tends to tends to shift around a lot. People, mm. you know, people change the, the you know the the marketing department decides to to you know change the word on a button and and have your test break. Right. Uh, and so that's kind of like where I think this idea of this testing pyramid comes from. It's like, you know, it's not that that so so yeah, some people then go completely the other way. They say, like, well, you know, like We'll just test these really small pieces. At least that's easy, uh, and at least we'll know that those pieces, you know, are really well well specified, um, and we'll stop there. Or, or maybe, yeah, maybe we'll like take a couple pieces at a time, but but you know, try to like not not worry about anything kind of outside of our program. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the, the the idea of the testing pyramid and what I also kind of subscribe to is that. At the top of the pyramid, you have those those integration tests where you you only have a few of them, but they but they really test you know your your most critical uh, pieces that you know like so like I would want to have an integration test of like say like a, a payment workflow, right? Like this is like you know you really want to have something go through the whole process of checking out your order or you know whatever is sort of the most important thing that your app does, you know like have a couple of those. That really go through the whole thing, so that at least you know, like people are able to to do these these core pieces, even though you know a small subset of that might not always work. Mm -hmm. And then then you can sort of drill down and say, like, okay, now let's take a smaller piece and do some more elaborate testing on that, and then take you know split it further up, and then eventually you get to the bottom to individual pure functions. Um, and there you could even say, like, you know, we can we can be exhaustive. Uh, we can mm. completely define what uh, what the domain like what you know what the the valid inputs of this function are, mm -hmm. and we can just test all of them. Uh, or if that's still too big, you can do something like generative testing and just yeah like randomly feed it uh, data of that of that input domain uh, and and see what happens. Mm. So so that's you know because also yeah at that top like state blows up right. Uh, the 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 amount of of possible application states is is you know higher than than the amount of atoms in the universe or whatever right like it's it's ridiculous like it it just exponentially or uh, what's the word combinatorially blows up um, mm. so so that's I think also why you know you ha having these running a browser to do an integration test that that takes a minute yeah you can't you know, you can't do a thousand of those, uh, let alone tens of thousands, right? Right. Yeah, that's also the question always, right? Do we want to boil the ocean by, you know, testing the application? Yeah, but... no, that's a good point because, like, yeah, you do, you do want your test suite to to give you feedback in a in a meaningful amount of time. I mean, I mm -hmm. I know some war stories from from uh, big IT companies where they have insane custom uh ci setups 
where they, you know, like massively parallelize and, and you know, like the whole data centers just constantly running everyone's uh, branches on CI. Um, right. Just so, so that people would get feedback within, you know, a matter of hours right. uh, instead of days. Hmm. Uh, and yeah, so there's there's clearly like there's there's a cost to test as well, right? And I think like I mean I think even Rich Hickey uh, has has made some some remarks to that effect that it's like yeah you know like I could be writing application or library code or or I could be writing tests, um, hmm. and you know I only I only have so much time and I, and I do think I I might be misquoting him and I do think it's a little bit of a false equivalence. Um, because of course, you know, like a good a good test suite saves you uh, time over time, right? Sure. Uh, especially if you think that you are going to be maintaining and changing that code, but of course, that's also uh, maybe a, a cultural and a philosophical difference, right? Like a lot of the code, perhaps that that Rich Hickey writes, especially the stuff that's in Closure, like he only needs to get it right once, and from then on, it's more or less set in stone. And only only particular uh, particular bugs that come up might might get fixed um, if they're severe enough. Whereas I guess a lot of application code tends to shift around much more, right? You don't right. you don't sure. it's not necessarily accretion only. You 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 know you're constantly kind of reassessing where you are, um, and so then then tests become really important, right? Like uh, having a having a good test suite, but mm-hmm. there's there's actually also a flip side to that, like because, you know, like some people say, yeah, a test suite is is imperative to to making changes, um, but a test suite can also be the 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 main thing getting in the way of making changes. Like, say, okay, say you have, you know, a, a piece of functionality that's completely untested, and you know, you know, you know, you want to refactor it, you wanna you wanna clean it up. Um, some will say, well, you know, like start start by writing tests for it. You know, it's a great exercise to get to know the code, get to know the API. You can kind of validate that you understand what it currently does. And then you kind of have a baseline to check it off on. And if, if that piece has a reasonable outside API and you really only want to change internals, then that might be a good approach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's actually like maybe an, a not so great abstraction. It's a leaky API. It's a leaky, you know, like it, it you know you're gonna want to change how it behaves. Well, now you've just, you know, encoded in your tests all the all the details of how it currently behaves, and now it becomes twice as hard to change that behavior. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting and it's really sort of this like I think on 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 several axes. Uh, when it comes to these discussions about testing, you know, like lots of people have different opinions about testing based on on their experiences. Uh, some people do a lot of it. Some people do a little of it. Some people only believe in in testing certain things or at certain levels. Um, but I think it really always comes down to these these same kind of trade offs where you kind of make choices on yeah, what you know, what do we what do we want to get out of it? And, and at, which, at which point do we start getting diminishing returns? At which point are you really just, you know, doing busy work? Because it can turn into that as well, right? I've, I've been on teams where they, they strive to have, a, have 100% test coverage. Right. And then 
it it really just becomes busy work. You're just you know just your your tests become almost a one to one duplicate of your code. You know the assertions are really just a duplicate of what the code actually does. Um, and and whenever you you know you need to change anything in your code base, uh, you just have dozens if not hundreds of tests breaking. Uh, and and yeah, so much work to 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 catch up on that. So I think it's yeah, you know you wanna. You want to be smart about this stuff. Uh, testing is engineering as well, right? And and I think a lot of the practices that go into coding, of like making sure that things are easy to change, making sure that the same information isn't encoding or the same business logic isn't encoded in multiple places, so you can only you know you only have to change it in one place. All, all of these kind of good practices, um, to some extent, all, all translate to to good testing practices. But I feel like we we talk a lot less about sort of the the patterns that that go into good tests. Mm. Yeah. So did all of those uh, thoughts and the thinking and all of the stuff made you to start the library, uh, or where where did that come from? Uh, that's a good that's a good question. Um, I mean, I guess to some extent, you know, this is obviously stuff that that you know I've been been thinking about through my career. Um, what what really happened i think i think there's a couple factors so one factor i think sort of as a as a philosophical background is that before i was a closure programmer mm-hmm. uh 5 6 7 years and before that uh, ago um i was a ruby developer and and ruby has a, an extremely strong culture around testing right um and i would say to a large extent that is you know what i what i touched upon in the beginning that yeah they they don't have this REPL driven workflow that we have uh, they really use their tests as as their feedback loop, um, and so there there's a lot of uh, believe and and push to do TDD test driven development uh, or or behavior driven development, which is kind right. of a different shade of the same thing. Um, but so there's a there's a strong culture around testing. There's a lot of conference talks around testing. People talk a lot about you know there's a lot of interesting libraries around testing, and there's strong tooling around testing. So the 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 big one uh, that we mainly use and that I think is still the the dominant testing uh, tool in in Rubyland was RSpec, mm-hmm. uh, and I really enjoyed using that. It had a really great set of features, and so I missed some of the stuff that that uh, RSpec did uh, when when I came to Closure, um, and then I think the, when it came together is that uh, when when uh, Closure CLI and and Tools Depths came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, people started migrating to that. I also I was uh, working with Nextron at the time. I still still work with them, uh, and yeah, they were they had kind of gone back and forth between Lining in and Boot, and then at some point I got them back onto Lining in, and then yeah, Closure CLI came out, and we switched to that. But then you suddenly realize that there's actually quite a bit of stuff that's built into Lining in that you've kind of been taken for granted. Yeah, uh, and one of these things is is line test, right? Like, uh, and I think a lot of people don't really think about the distinction between you know when you run line test, how much of it that it does is part of lining and and how much of that is just just closure test. Uh, mm. But so line line test is kind of you know like a default test runner that that you always would have on any closure project uh, until yeah until we started migrating to closure CLI and suddenly we no longer had that. Um, 
And so I kind of started with a, a, a sort of a one namespace, you know, like basic test runner, um, but with a couple features that I cared about. Uh, and, and you know, like the, a lot of my projects start like this, that I sort of, I will first just do it inside the project. So, so first this was sort of inside the next journal code base uh, and I would copy it from project to project and kind of, you know, like make it better as I went along until at a certain point I decided like, okay, you know, like this, this actually uh, should, should turn into a real thing. Um, and so I, I took some time off uh, and, and started from scratch and started making Kaucha. Uh, and so a, a couple different motivations went into that. Uh, I think the, the, the key thing was this realization that we were in the situation where, you know, you had line test, which only worked for lining in, and a bunch of lining and plugins related to testing, which only worked for lining in. Um, mm -hmm. And then there might be some other testing libraries, like I think you had bet test specifically for boot. Uh, and then you had something like Mitch, which was sort of its own testing library plus test runner. Uh, and then, you know, if you used line test and that wasn't compatible with Mitch or vice versa. So you sort of had, you know, like these, let's say closure runners on the one side. So lining in boot, closure CLI, and then you had testing libraries on the other side, mm -hmm. closure test, uh, expectation, Mitch, fudge, these kind of things. Uh, and so you sort of had this, you know, again, this kind of multiplication of libraries and tools to, to do, you know, like one of these specific combinations, like mm -hmm. closure test with boot, expectation with lining. In. And so I, I thought that was kind of silly, um, especially because, yeah, like some of these would actually have, like all of these would have one or two of the features that I kind of wanted from a good testing tool. Mm -hmm. But none of them would have them all, right? And they all had to implement them again on their specific platform. Mm -hmm. So I set out to kind of make a, a more generic tool which could use any, you know, closure runner. Because in the end, you know, it's just invoking a main function, right? Like the, it really shouldn't be tied to, you know, say lining and, um, and then uh, try to make it generic enough that that I could also deal with yeah other other testing libraries like uh so we we now have support for for cucumber we have support for closure script which we can go into later because there's a lot to be said about that mm -hmm. um, but so yeah i really just wanted to have this this unified testing tool i think that was the, the the one side of the equation and the other thing that kind of went into the idea of you know what i wanted culture to be um was yeah to have this really strong ergonomics you know, have a have a really good user experience. Uh, do do reasonable stuff out of the box. Give people feedback when things go wrong. Have have nice uh, failure messages that that communicate uh, what what's going wrong. All of mm -hmm. this stuff. And so a lot of effort in Kaucha has gone into this kind of you know giving people warnings if their config isn't correct or if something looks odd if they wrote an assertion, but they probably forgot to write the is or the equals, then, then you know, some of these cases we can detect. Uh, and so, yeah, the end result is uh, is Kaucha. And then uh, I applied for closures together mm -hmm. and uh, got a couple months to, to really dig into it. And I think that was that was sort of where it went from an MVP to a, really a tool that, that I could confidently tell people to, to start using. Mm-hmm. 
so if someone would like or someone is interested in culture, what's the like what's the way what someone needs to understand, you know, how would you use it? Are there any, you know, tips? Sure. Yeah, so there's um like I said, Kacha is fairly easy to use or it's fairly easy to get started with. And there's sort of a quick start in the README. Um, Kacha has its own tests.eden where you kind of define, you know, your test suites and what type of tests there they have. Or you can add plugins. Kacha has sort of this plugin functionality to add extra functionality um, and a bunch of other stuff you can put in the tests eden. Now, if you kind of follow the closure conventions of having tests under a test folder, uh, and having them all end on on all the namespace names and in dash test, and you're using Closure Test as your testing library, uh, then you don't really need the, the tests even even. Like Kacha just has a a, a built in uh, default configuration; mm-hmm. it'll use that. Uh, and then you need to call the the Kacha main uh, entry point. Uh, so usually we recommend setting up uh, an alias if you're using Closure CLI. Uh, there's something similar for lining and where you can then say like line coucha or something like that. But we also recommend people to make a, a bin slash coucha in their projects mm-hmm. um, just to sort of have this uh, consistent entry to point where, you know, no matter which which project you're on, if it's using coucha, you should be able to say bin slash coucha or bin slash coucha dash dash help um, and, you know, take it from there. But so yeah, if you if you follow those instructions, again, it's really just calling the main entry point. You say bin slash coucha or closure dash capital M coucha or whatever it is now. Um, then uh, yeah, your test will start running and you'll get a nice report of any failures. Um, and then you can start custom customizing it to your needs, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So that's kind of I think to to get the most out of Couchai, you probably do want to dig a little deeper. We do have fairly elaborate documentation, uh, and so Couchai has a particular internal model about how it operates. Um, and I think wrapping your head around that uh, can really help you get the most out of the tool. Like it's a it's a very flexible tool. You can configure all kinds of hooks and stuff. It's very data driven. Um, and so, yeah, I would I would recommend uh, people to to also, you know, spend a little bit of time with with our documentation, get familiar with sort of the different parts that are in there. Uh, there's probably one or two plugins that you immediately want to enable. Um, but yeah, basically getting started at least on a on a normal closure project, uh, not talking yet about the closure script side, should be you know a minute and you're going. So you mentioned there's a couple of things that one needs to wrap their head around when they start to work with Kaucha. And uh, so maybe we can start with like spreading this apart and saying, so what's the difference between a test runner and a test library and how all of this comes together? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question because um, I've been already throwing those those phrases around, um, but it's uh, it's important to, to understand what the role of each is. So the test library would be closure test. So closure test is a namespace in the in the closure distribution. Uh, I believe it was written originally by Stuart Sierra and mm-hmm. contributed to the project. Um, and so it, it gives you an API for writing your tests. So that's in my mind, you know, the main job of a of a testing library is that it, it gives you an API where you can say, so in the case of closure test, it's dev test and the is macro. 
So it's mainly these things, right? Like defining a test and then providing a way to declare assertions. Because in the end, most tests, you know, you run some of your code and then you then you have an assertion. You have some kind of st- statement that needs to be true. This thing needs to be true. needs to be equal to that, or or whatever, right? Um, and so, closure test in particular, it's a it has a couple of shortcomings, you know. But all in all, it it stood the, the test of time fairly well. It's over ten years old, um, and yeah, with these couple abstractions that it gives us, uh, you can do a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the one concept that's that's perhaps interesting uh, in closure test is the the reporter or the reporting function because that's also going to come back uh, when we talk later about Kaucha. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, first let me then maybe you know look at the other side. So your test runner um, is basically all the machinery that that allows you to run those tests. So okay, you know like tests in the end they're they're not very different from functions, uh, mm-hmm. and yeah you know you can. You can put them in your REPL and just execute them, right? That's That could be one way that you run test, or you could have some kind of main uh, namespace or main function where you call each individual test and then at the end maybe do a check if they all checked or not. Uh, and that would sort of be the, you know, the, the version zero of a test runner, just sort of, you know, like manually collecting all the tests you have and just putting them all on a list and saying, okay, now run this, now run that. Um, but so what most test runners will do is they will scan your code base for tests that they need to run. And then as they do that, they report their progress. So they, because that's also, you know, like, I don't know, if you're lucky, your tests run in, in mere uh, milliseconds. Uh, but many test suites take quite a time while to run. And, and while that's going on, you want to get some, some continuous feedback. Uh, and so the way that works in in closure test and also in Kaucha is through a reporter. So it's a it's a specific function, and you can sort of override it to register a different one if you want to change the behavior of how these things are reported. Mm-hmm. But it, it basically it gets called with these maps which kind of represent events. So when it starts, it'll say you know start start namespace, and and mm-hmm. some details about the namespace just in a map sort of representing that that start namespace event. And then it'll say, start test. This is a test I'm starting. And then it'll say, uh, succeed or fail or error. These are kind of the three right. three main things that can come out of an assertion. Uh, and then at the end, there might be a, a, some kind of summary event where the reporter gets the details of, of you know, sort of the numbers, right? And it can report those. 75 mm-hmm. tests, uh, zero failed, one errored, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um Closure test uh, has this reporter concept, and, and Kaucha does so as well. And so Kaucha is is the test runner in this equation. So Kaucha doesn't care about how you write your tests. Um, it has built in uh, what Kaucha calls test types or test suite types um, for closure test and and some other ones like I said, Cucumber, uh, CLJS are the main ones because a lot of test libraries out there. Uh, for instance, the, the newer versions of expectations or the, the fudge, which is kind of a replacement for Mitch, um, they're all now kind of using the same API that Closure Test uses under the hood. And so mm-hmm. from the test runner perspective, it no longer really makes a difference. You can treat these as if they are Closure Test tests. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, and so, so I think that, this, that yeah, keeping keeping that distinction kind of between a test runner and a test library, uh, mm-hmm. again, right? Like people sometimes don't really realize when they do line run that there's a lot of stuff happening under the hood there. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing that that yeah that your test runner provides you is is the user interface, right? Like whether it's from a REPL or from a often a command line, uh, being able to filter tests, uh, being able to output uh, XML summary that, that your CI can can pick up, uh, hooking in code coverage. Like this is all also stuff that that your test runner does. So it's really all that that machinery and all that you know nice user friendly features um, that that are coming from your test runner. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now all of the libraries you mentioned are unifying, sort of using the same API. Uh, and how does this look across the different hosts, like JavaScript and Java platforms? Um, so yeah, most of the libraries I mentioned, uh, I, I'm mainly I'm mainly familiar with with how they behave on the JVM. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing they would uh, have a, a CLJC version or a CLJS version, which which largely does the same thing. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not aware mm-hmm. of any Closure Script specific uh, testing libraries that that don't use the closure test or CLGS test then uh, functionality under the hood. To understand like the philosophy of Kaucha is that even though testing is kind of a, it's a fairly imperative process, right? Like we need to scan the file system and then load these tests, which is kind of a side effectful thing and then run these tests, which may be side affecting, but, but also the reporting at least is side affecting. Um, but but Couchat tries its best to kind of turn that into a functional pipeline. So it's kind of this data-driven machinery where you mm-hmm. start with a, a Couchat config, uh, which is just a closure map. And so when you have your test.eden, that is kind of the source of that config. We load that test eden, add some defaults, normalize it, and then that is sort of that feeds into the first step of the Couchat pipeline, which is the load step. And at that point, so in, in your tests.eden, you will say, well, these are my test suites. I have a closure test test suite. I have a CLJS test suite. Uh, these are the paths where these tests are. And then when we feed that, that map through that load step, uh, it basically triggers individual multi-methods, which can be implemented for each individual test type. So when you say, okay, this is a Kacha type closure test, then that will uh, figure out which namespaces exist in the paths that you've given, for instance, under test. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it'll turn those into testables, what we call testables, which is kind of a Kaucha representation, again, just a closure map of something that you can test. And these, these testables are nested. So you will say, okay, I have my closure script test test suite. That's sort of mm-hmm. that's that's the outer testable, and then that one contains a list of testables, which are your your individual namespaces, and then each of those namespaces, it will, you know, once it has loaded the namespaces, inspect whatever vars uh, have been defined, see if it finds test metadata on those vars, and so then you get inside there a list of testables for uh, for each individual dev test, and so it's really it's kind of 
a transformation of that config to what we then call a test plan. And so at the top level, you have almost all the same stuff, like very little has changed. It's just now become this very deep, much more expanded map with all the details of all your different tests. So at that point, we know which tests you have. Uh, and that's also the point where we start applying things like filtering. If you say, you know, I want to focus on a certain test or I want to I want to skip mm -hmm. certain tests, then we traverse that that nested data structure and we start marking certain tests as, okay, this one we want to skip, this one we want to skip. Uh, and so it's, it's this kind of recursive process uh, doing this load, calling these individual multi-methods for each of these types of tests and their children. Mm -hmm. And then we do this again. We have again this kind of recursive process, which is the run stage, where we where we walk that whole data structure, and for each of those testables, call the multi method for that testables type. So that's going to be you know like we call the the multi method for closure test, and then that one's going to call the run multi method for each uh, test namespace, and then that one's going to call the, the multi method for each test var, and mm -hmm. then that actually calls the test uh, and then yeah we go back up the tree and in the end you have a again sort of transformed this whole test plan data structure into a test result data structure where now in these individual testable maps we've added information like uh, there were five assertions this assertion failed uh, and so so the idea is that um, this really is uh even though most people approach it as, as kind of a, a complete tool, and it is a complete tool, but if you kind of scrape off the top, uh, what you get is a, a, a library for doing test tooling. So it's all very data-driven, and uh, you know you can imagine hooking this up into, into whatever tool or IDE you're, you're using uh, and really go, go to that API level. Mm. And so at, at the same time, we are, of course... Uh, still doing those side effects of, of calling that report function over and over with all these events. Um, but the, the nice thing about this is that like in, in the old world, like the way that a lot of tooling around closure test works is that they'll, they'll capture all those events and then use that in the end to, to generate some kind of summary about, you know, what, whether, whether any tests failed or passed or, or what happened exactly. Whereas for us, if you if you need something like that, if you just want, you know, sort of like, give me all the tests that that have failures or give me all the errors, uh, it's really just traversing a data structure, uh, mm -hmm. which becomes especially nice with with, for instance, JUnit XML support. So this is a pseudo standardized format for capturing the results of a of a test run, and so a lot of CI providers, if you can have your test tool output. JUnit XML, they will give you a much nicer summary in the browser of, of you know, what happened. And so for us, that is that is really simple because we can really just transform one-to-one -one in a very functional way that, that data structure to, to its output. Mm -hmm. um, I think this was a lot to wrap your head around, uh, even from, I'm sure for you, it's just like all makes sense since you wrote the library. Uh, but yeah. I think I would have to re-listen uh, what I've you been, just said. I've been doing. I've been working on it for three years. Eh? Uh, so, so everything what you described. This is mainly uh, the picture of the situation in Closure, uh, and how does this look like on the JavaScript platform? 
Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, consider supporting it by rating on the platform you're listening to, sharing with others, and supporting it directly by buying some video courses and learning Clojure Script and Clojure. You can check out the courses at jacekshe.com. That is J-A-C-K-S-C-H-A-E.com. Thanks.